Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Chapter 11 Little had Mrs. Dashwood or her daughters imagined, when they first came into Devonshire, that so many engagements would arise to occupy their time as shortly presented themselves, or that they should have such frequent invitations and such constant visitors as to leave them little leisure for serious employment. Yet such was the case. When Marianne was recovered, the schemes of amusement at home and abroad, which Sir John had been previously forming, were put into execution. The private balls at the park then began, and parties on the water were made and accomplished as often as a showery October would allow. In every meeting of the kind, Willoughby was included, and the ease and familiarity which naturally attended these parties were exactly calculated to give increasing intimacy to his acquaintance with the Dashwoods, to afford him opportunity of witnessing the excellencies of Marianne, of marking his animated admiration of her, and of receiving, in her behavior to himself, the most pointed assurance of her affection. Eleanor could not be surprised at their attachment. She only wished that it were less openly shown, and once or twice did venture to suggest the propriety of some self-command to Marianne. But Marianne abhorred all concealment where no real disgrace could attend unreserve, and to aim at the restraint of sentiments which were not in themselves illaudable appeared to her not merely an unnecessary effort, but a disgraceful subjection of reason to commonplace and mistaken notions. Willoughby thought the same, and their behavior at all times was an illustration of their opinions. When he was present, she had no eyes for anyone else. Everything he did was right. Everything he said was clever. If their evenings at the park were concluded with cards, he cheated himself and all the rest of the party to get her a good hand. If dancing formed the amusement of the night, they were partners for half the time, and when obliged to separate for a couple of dances, were careful to stand together and scarcely spoke a word to anybody else. Such conduct made them, of course, most exceedingly laughed at, but ridicule could not shame and seemed hardly to provoke them. Mrs. Dashwood entered into all their feelings with a warmth which left her no inclination for checking this excessive display of them. To her it was but the natural consequence of a strong affection in a young and ardent mind. This was the season of happiness to Marianne. Her heart was devoted to Willoughby, and the fond attachment to Norland, which she brought with her from Sussex, was more likely to be softened than she had thought it possible before by the charms which his society bestowed on her present home. Eleanor's happiness was not so great. Her heart was not so much at ease, nor her satisfaction in their amusements so pure, 
they afforded her no companion that could make amends for what she had left behind, nor that could teach her to think of Norland with less regret than ever. Neither Lady Middleton nor Mrs. Jennings could supply to her the conversation she missed, although the latter was an everlasting talker and from the first had regarded her with a kindness which ensured her a large share of her discourse. She had already repeated her own history to Eleanor three or four times, and had Eleanor's memory been equal to her means of improvement, she might have known very early in their acquaintance all the particulars of Mr. Jennings' last illness and what he said to his wife a few minutes before he died. Lady Middleton was more agreeable than her mother only in being more silent. Eleanor needed little observation to perceive that her reserve was a mere calmness of manner with which sense had nothing to do. Towards her husband and mother she was the same as to them, and intimacy was therefore neither to be looked for nor desired. She had nothing to say one day that she had not said the day before, for even her spirits were always the same, and though she did not oppose the parties arranged by her husband, provided everything were concluded in style, and her two eldest children attended her, she never appeared to receive more enjoyment from them than she might have experienced in sitting at home. And so little did her presence add to the pleasure of the others, by any share in their conversation, that they were sometimes only reminded of her being amongst them by her solicitude about her troublesome boys. In Colonel Brandon alone, of all her new acquaintance, did Eleanor find a person who could in any degree claim the respective abilities, excite the interest of friendship, or give pleasure as a companion? Willoughby was out of the question. Her admiration and regard, even her sisterly regard, was all his own. But he was a lover. His attentions were wholly Marianne's and a far less agreeable man might have been more generally pleasing. Colonel Brandon, unfortunately for himself, had no such encouragement to think only of Marianne, and in conversing with Eleanor he found the greatest consolation for the indifference of her sister. Eleanor's compassion for him increased, as she had reason to suspect that the misery of disappointed love had already been known to him. This suspicion was given by some words which accidentally dropped from him one evening at the park, when they were sitting down together by mutual consent while the others were dancing. His eyes were fixed on Marianne, and after a silence of some minutes he said with a faint smile, "'Your sister, I understand, does not approve of second attachments.' "'No,' replied Eleanor. "'Her opinions are all romantic.' or rather, as I believe, she considers them impossible to exist. I believe she does, but how she contrives it without reflecting on the character of her own father, who had himself two wives, I know not. A few years, however, will settle her opinions on the reasonable basis of common sense and observation, and then they may be more easy to define and to justify than they now are, "'by anybody but herself. "'This will probably be the case,' he replied. "'And yet there is something so amiable "'in the prejudices of a young mind "'that one is sorry to see them give way "'to the reception of more general opinions.' "'I cannot agree with you there,' said Eleanor. 
"'There are inconveniences attending such feelings as Marianne's, "'which all the charms of enthusiasm and ignorance of the world cannot atone for. "'Her systems have all the unfortunate tendency of setting propriety at naught, "'and a better acquaintance with the world is what I look forward to "'as her greatest possible advantage.' After a short pause, he resumed the conversation by saying, "'Does your sister make no distinction in her objections against the second attachment, "'or is it equally criminal in everybody? "'Are those who have been disappointed in their first choice, "'whether from the inconsistency of its object "'or the perverseness of circumstances "'to be equally indifferent during the rest of their lives? "'Upon my word,' I am not acquainted with the minutia of her principles. I only know that I never yet heard her admit any instance of a second attachment's being pardonable. This, said he, cannot hold. But a change, a total change of sentiments. No, no, do not desire it. For when the romantic refinements of a young mind are obliged to give way, how frequently are they succeeded by such opinions "'as are but too common and too dangerous. "'I speak from experience. "'I once knew a lady who in temper and mind "'greatly resembled your sister, "'who thought and judged like her, "'but who, from an enforced change, "'from a series of unfortunate circumstances... "'Here he stopped suddenly, "'appeared to think that he had said too much, "'and by his countenance gave rise to conjectures... "'which might not otherwise have entered Eleanor's head. "'The lady would probably have passed without suspicion "'had he not convinced Miss Dashwood "'that what concerned her ought not to escape his lips. "'As it was, it required but a slight effort of fancy "'to connect his emotion with the tender recollection of past regard. "'Eleanor attempted no more. "'But Marianne, in her place, would not have done so little.' The whole story would have been speedily formed under her active imagination, and everything established in the most melancholy order of disastrous love. Chapter 12 As Eleanor and Marianne were walking together the next morning, the latter communicated a piece of news to her sister, which, in spite of all that she knew before of Marianne's imprudence and want of thought, surprised her by its extravagant testimony of both. Marianne told her, with the greatest delight, that Willoughby had given her a horse, one that he had bred himself on his estate at Somersetshire, and which was exactly calculated to carry a woman. Without considering that it was not in her mother's plan to keep any horse, that if she were to alter her resolution in favor of this gift, she must buy another for the servant, and keep a servant to ride it, and after all, build a stable to receive them, she had accepted the present without hesitation and told her sister of it in raptures. He intends to send his groom into Somersetshire immediately for it, she added, and when it arrives we will ride every day. You shall share its use with me. Imagine to yourself, my dear Eleanor, the delight of a gallop on some of these downs. Most unwilling was she to awaken from such a dream of felicity to comprehend all the unhappy truths which attended the affair, and for some time she refused to submit to them. As to an additional servant, the expense would be a trifle. Mama, she was sure, would never object to it, and any horse would do for him. 
he might always get one at the park. As to a stable, the mere shed would be sufficient. Eleanor then ventured to doubt the propriety of her receiving such a present from a man so little, or at least so lately known to her. This was too much. "'You are mistaken, Eleanor,' said she warmly, "'in supposing I know very little of Willoughby. "'I have not known him long indeed, "'but I am much better acquainted with him "'than I am with any other creature in the world, "'except yourself and Mama. "'It is not time or opportunity "'that is to determine intimacy. "'It is disposition alone. Seven years would be insufficient "'to make some people acquainted with each other, "'and seven days are more than enough for others.' I shall hold myself guilty of greater impropriety in accepting a horse from my brother than from Willoughby. Of John I know very little, though we have lived together for years. But of Willoughby my judgment has long been formed. Eleanor thought it wisest to touch that point no more. She knew her sister's temper. Opposition on so tender a subject would only attach her the more to her own opinion but by an appeal to her affection for her mother, by representing the inconveniences which that indulgent mother must draw on herself, if, as would probably be the case, she consented to this increase of establishment, Marianne was shortly subdued, and she promised not to tempt her mother to such imprudent kindness by mentioning the offer, and to tell Willoughby, when she saw him next, that it must be declined. She was faithful to her word, and when Willoughby called at the cottage the same day, Eleanor heard her express her disappointment to him in a low voice, on being obliged to forego the acceptance of his present. The reasons for this alteration were at the same time related, and they were such as to make further entreaty on his side impossible. His concern, however, was very apparent, and after expressing it with earnestness, he added in the same low voice, "'But, Marianne, the horse is still yours, "'though you cannot use it now. "'I shall keep it only till you can claim it. "'When you leave Barton to form your own establishment "'in a more lasting home, Queen Mab shall receive you.' "'This was all overheard by Miss Dashwood, "'and in the whole of the sentence, "'in his manner of pronouncing it, "'and in his addressing her sister by her Christian name alone, "'she instantly saw an intimacy so decided.' a meaning so direct as marked a perfect agreement between them. From that moment she doubted not of their being engaged to each other, and the belief of it created no other surprise than that she, or any of their friends, should be left by tempers so frank to discover it by accident. Margaret related something to her the next day, which placed this matter in a still clearer light. Willoughby had spent the preceding evening with them, and Margaret, by being left some time in the parlour with only him and Marianne, had had opportunity for observations, which, with a most important face, she communicated to her eldest sister when they were next by themselves. "'Oh, Eleanor,' she cried, "'I have such a secret to tell you about Marianne. "'I am sure she will be married to Mr. Willoughby very soon.' "'You have said so,' replied Eleanor, "'almost every day since they first met on High Church Down.' and they had not known each other a week, I believe, before you were certain that Marianne wore his picture round her neck, but it turned out only to be the miniature of our great-uncle. But, indeed, this is quite another thing. I am sure they'll be married very soon, for he has got a lock of her hair. 
"'Take care, Margaret. "'It may be only the hair of some great-uncle of his.' "'But indeed, Eleanor, it is Marianne's. "'I am almost sure it is, for I saw him cut it off. "'Last night after tea, when you and Mamma went out of the room, "'they were whispering and talking together as fast as could be, "'and he seemed to be begging something of her. "'And presently he took up her scissors "'and cut off a long lock of her hair, "'for it was all tumbled down her back. "'And he kissed it and folded it up in a piece of white paper "'and put it into his pocket-book.' For such particulars stated on such authority, Eleanor could not withhold her credit. Nor was she disposed to it, for the circumstance was in perfect unison with what she had heard and seen herself. Margaret was not always so satisfactory to her sister. When Mrs. Jennings attacked her one evening at the park to give the name of the young man, who was Eleanor's particular favorite, which had been long a matter of great curiosity to her, Margaret answered by looking at her sister and saying, "'I must not tell. "'May I, Eleanor?' "'This, of course, made everybody laugh, "'and Eleanor tried to laugh, too. "'But the effort was painful. "'She was convinced that Margaret had fixed on a person "'whose name she could not bear with composure "'to become a standing joke with Mrs. Jennings. "'Marianne felt for her most sincerely,' but she did more harm than good to the cause by turning very red and saying in an angry manner to Margaret, "'Remember that whatever your conjectures may be, you have no right to repeat them.' "'I never had any conjectures about it,' replied Margaret. "'It was you who told me of it yourself.' This increased the mirth of the company, and Margaret was eagerly pressed to say something more. "'Oh!' "'Pray, Miss Margaret, let us know all about it,' said Mrs. Jennings. "'What is the gentleman's name?' "'I must not tell, ma'am, but I know very well what it is, "'and I know where he is, too. "'Yes, yes, we can guess where he is. "'At his own house, at Norland, to be sure. "'He is the curate of the parish, I dare say.' "'No, that he is not. "'He is of no profession at all.' "'Margaret.' "'said Marianne, with great warmth. "'You know that this is an invention of your own, "'and that there is no such person in existence.' "'Well, then, he is lately dead, Marianne, "'for I am sure there was such a man once, "'and his name begins with an F.' "'Most grateful did Eleanor feel to Lady Middleton "'for observing at this moment "'that it rained very hard, "'though she believed the interruption "'to proceed less from any attention to her.' than from her ladyship's great dislike of all such inelegant subjects of raillery as delighted her husband and mother. The idea, however, started by her, was immediately pursued by Colonel Brandon, who was on every occasion mindful of the feelings of others, and much was said on the subject of rain by both of them. Willoughby opened the pianoforte and asked Marianne to sit down to it, and thus, amidst the various endeavors of different people to quit the topic, it fell to the ground. But not so easily did Eleanor recover from the alarm into which it had thrown her. A party was formed this evening for going on the following day to see a very fine place about twelve miles from Barton, belonging to a brother-in-law of Colonel Brandon, without whose interest it could not be seen, as the proprietor, who was then abroad, had left strict orders on that head. The grounds were declared to be highly beautiful, and Sir John, who was particularly warm in their praise, might be allowed to be a tolerable judge, 
for he had formed parties to visit them, at least twice every summer for the last ten years. They contained a noble piece of water. Cold provisions were to be taken, open carriages only to be employed, and everything conducted in the usual style of a complete party of pleasure. To some few of the company it appeared rather a bold undertaking, considering the time of year, and that it had rained every day for the last fortnight, and Mrs. Dashwood, who had already a cold, was persuaded by Eleanor to stay at home. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.